Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Inspiring people and places, we are excited to welcome Steve Gann to the show. He is a Senior Vice President of Defense for Marcon Solutions. Steve, welcome. BJ, thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here. And just want to shout out to you, BJ, over 100 episodes. And uh, this is hard. This is not you sitting in your, in your house with, it, with an iPhone. So I'm really impressed. And uh, you know, props to you. Thank you so much. It, it, it was a, it's a great milestone. And I love it because I get to meet great people like you. Uh, shout out to Eric Quinn for the introduction. And, yeah. and we'll, get to, we'll get to that Plebeer Naval Academy story, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But no, thank you for, for coming to the show. Excited to dig in on, on what seems to be on paper a, a pretty interesting career path. Um, <laughs> I'll do my best to, to live up to the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is how every, every episode starts. We, you know, getting to know Steve. So talk to us about your, you know, your education, your background, and, and what led you to being an SVP at Marcon running defense. Sure. So born in Boston for 10 years, I moved to South Jersey. So a connection there, went to high school in Cherry Hill and went off to the U.S. Naval Academy. I had my eye on being a naval aviator. And the reality was I was not that strong in math and science at the Naval Academy. So I was there for about two years and I love the military part and love the camaraderie of the, of the brigade. And, you know, I, I really wanted to be a Commission officer, but after about two years, the reality was I was underwater. So I uh, went through the, you know, the academic board hearing, which as a twenty-year-old is pretty devastating. And they said, "Steve, you know, you're not going to. You, you may be an officer someday, but you're not going to be, you know, commissioned through the Naval Academy. But uh, do you have any interest in Naval ROTC?" Now I had spent the last two years making fun of Naval ROTC, but I said. <laughs> Okay, I need a plan B because my mom was saying, hey, move home, get your job at Echelon Mall, go to community college, and which is not a bad <laughs> plan. It just wasn't, wasn't the plan that I had. So it turns out the ROTC programs that needed people were all in historically black universities. So you could see I'm a you know, white Jewish kid from New Jersey via Boston, and all of them were, there was Florida, Texas, and South Louisiana. So one of the guys in my company at the Naval Academy, his family lived in Baton Rouge. And one of the schools was Southern University, and another Naval Academy guy I knew had sort of gone that same path and was already at Southern in the Naval ROTC unit. So I, you know, packed my stuff up. My family thought I was completely bonkers, but, you know, that was my dream. I wanted to be a Naval officer, and this was the way it was going to work. So I went down there for about a semester, and, and something wasn't quite right. And I said, I went to the you know, commander of the unit, and I said, aren't I supposed to be getting a check or something? And, and he sat me down and he said, well, they changed the policy. And I said, what was that? <laughs> well, we're not accepting Naval Academy mids anymore to the Naval ROTC. And said, well, how'd that happen? They, you know, he was obviously very upset. But meanwhile, I had met some, you know, and the plan was I was going to transfer to LSU, which was cross town after I got my grades up. And there was an Air Force ROTC unit at LSU. So a buddy of mine had introduced me to the folks at that unit. I took the entrance exam there. And the comment was, hey, 
whenever you're ready, we'll take you. So after about a, a year in the Naval unit, I transferred over to Air Force ROTC, spent my last two. So did an extra year, but spent my last two years at LSU. Never changed my major, though, but changed schools a couple times, and I was commissioned in the Air Force. You know, long-winded story about my education. Commissioned active duty. I was an air battle manager for about six and a half years, and I spent a couple years in Germany. I was there when the wall came down, which was pretty cool. And then I went to a flying unit at the EC-130 side of Biloxi, Mississippi. Got there a couple months later, immediately deployed to Desert Storm, and just spent a couple months in, in the garden spots over there in the Middle East, uh, as I would imagine you did as well. And uh, got back, and and I had, you know, by that point I was at about the five five year point, and I said, you know, I'm enjoying the military, but that's a little bit unstable. You know, I was your bags are always packed, you're ready to go. So I was looking into either business school or law school, and I opted to go to business school. Ended up at Georgetown, got an MBA from there. And along the way, my, I met some folks that were in government contracting and started out to spend a year or so in government at, at Booz Allen and then kind of management consulting type roles, very, a lot of sort of master of all trades, jack of, of jack of all trades, master and none. I mean, a lot of very, you know, a little bit of finance, a little bit of HR, a little bit of IT, a little bit of ops, spent a couple of years doing healthcare work in, in commercial hospitals, spent some time at Arthur Anderson, PricewaterhouseCoopers, so some big name firms. and. Eventually, when I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers, we teamed with a firm for some work called Marcon Solutions, and the CEO was a gentleman by the name of Matt Dean. Thoroughly impressed with Matt. We, we ultimately won the work that we teamed on, but there was a, a technicality, so we were disqualified, but I was still really impressed with Matt. A couple of years later, looked him up, and over time, even though I said I was sort of a, a generalist, I had started focusing in on, on project and program management. Uh, I got my PMP, which, you know, it's a great credential to have. It doesn't make you a better project manager, but it certainly credentializes you, and it's highly valued in government work. And as well as over time, I'd gotten a pretty high-level security clearance, and that was very appealing to Matt. So Matt invited me to join Marcon about 11 years ago, and I had never really done anything in, the, in this world. But anyways, I'll, I'll pause there because I, I've covered a lot of ground. I, I've got a couple of questions. Sure. The most important of which is in the Air Force Navy game, who do you cheer for? Got to cheer for Navy. I didn't go to the Air Force Academy. so I, 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 I thought that was going to be the answer. And then Keesler Air Force Base? Yes. Is that where you were out of? Yeah, yeah. Was it the Hurricane Hunters? No. So was um, that? the Hurricane Hunters were there. They were a reserve unit when I was there. I was in what was called the 7th Airborne Command and Control Squadron, the 7th Axe, and it was the okay. EC 130E which was the Airborne Battlefield Command and Control Center. And basically, we controlled airstrikes. So most of my career was in the AWACS. The EC was the poor cousin. The AWACS did all the air-to-air work, and I did the uh, air-to-ground work. And it was, uh, it was a cool mission working with the, uh, with the Army folks. You know, you didn't get any crap in the bar if you did EC-130 work for the Army guys. We supported the Marines, supported all the ground folks. It was a, it was a great mission. A lot of training during peacetime and, and during wartime. You know, really impressive platform. It's, that's cool. My dad was, he was at the Hurricane Hunters as a reservist. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. They're still flying out there. Still doing cool. They work. are. Yeah. So I guess he was there in 2010 to 2013. So yeah, some other connections. All right. So a lot of ground to cover. I'm, I'm most interested in, you know, you, you talked about how program project management, you know, started becoming your your path and 
and great pedigree, Georgetown MBA, you know, the PwC management consulting path. What what are the things that have most helped you in the built environment at Marcon Solutions from that that pedigree or that upbringing? Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of it was around having government clients, which which I do, and growing up in that world. A lot of it's just about client relationships, and you know, really working the relationships and understanding what people's challenges are, and you know, your clients don't want you to come in and just you know be another suit. They want you to listen to their problems and and see how you can help them out, and and make sure your teams are doing that. So that was a big piece of it. And in government too, it's it's about you know figuring out where the funds are and and tracking the money and you know helping your clients look good. It's all about you know putting your clients first, obviously supporting your team and making your, you know, valuing your team, but, you know, learning client service and, and understanding that, you know, you need to make their life easier. You need to make them happy that they brought you in to do that work. And, uh, you know, with, with Marcon, we, the majority of the work at Marcon was in the intelligence community. Right now, I'm supporting the Officer Director of National Intelligence, which is sort of the umbrella organization over the IC, but many of our clients are also in, in the Pentagon out of the Pentagon and, and also in defense agencies, Corps of Engineers, Washington Headquarters Service. We've got some work over in Okinawa. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really helping your teams get out there and, and make sure they're solving your, your clients' problems, which is not always easy. And, you know, like, for example, during COVID, we have a lot of work at the Pentagon. We've got about over 60 people on the ground there, sort of the follow-on to the Pentagon renovations, because you remember for 20-plus years, they were renovating that building. And, you know, it doesn't stop. I mean, there's still more <laughs> facility work. It's always something to be doing. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's an enormous building. It's got all kinds of challenges. So during COVID, we basically had people on the ground and, and uh, the government folks, not all of them were, were going in during COVID. So we had PMs and, and QA folks on the ground helping to continue that those contractors could continue working. And if it wasn't for that, there would have been, you know, uh, work would have stopped. And, uh, you know, you know what happens when work stops in construction, like it, it's a problem. And so really that was a huge, huge win for our clients is being able to keep those things going. And, you know, we were really proud that we were able to support them in, in that type of activity. The, uh, the question that, I, you know, kind of comes up and, and I've been thinking about this because Marcon is a, a much bigger version of what my firm is, MCFA, I Absolutely. think you're, yeah, you know, maybe so. five to 10 times the size. At some point in time, it, you know, you have to go in the professional services world as you're growing, you go from being the client facing project manager to maybe having a team of project managers to having a team of teams yes. to, to steal the title of the book. His name slipped me, McChrystal. Yeah. Talk to me about how leadership development has played in, in your career growth and trajectory and, and maybe in the Marcon's growth. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question, DJ. You know, you and I are very fortunate having been in the military. You know, you went to West Point, you know, incredible training and development as a leader, as a junior military officer, and, and through your career, you're getting training. And early in my consulting career, I was doing some healthcare work. And I remember seeing there were some pretty senior folks, and I, I observed that they really weren't that good of leaders. And I thought about it, and, and what I observed is in, in that community, if you were a good nurse or a good respiratory technician, they made you a team leader. From there, they made you a, a manager, then a director. Next thing you know, you're a senior vice president, and you've never really had leadership training. And that was an observation early on in my career. But 
translate that to engineers and scientists and all kinds of you know other clients that we've had, and it was a gap. And I was always interested in helping fill that gap. And one of the things that I mentioned, my CEO Matt Dean, he had a, we had a big offsite, and he recognized we were at the time our firm was probably about seventy five people, so not that much bigger than than your firm. And he recognized that he wasn't his goal wasn't to go out and hire you know blue chip consultants or you know blue chip graduates from MBA programs. He wanted to grow them internally. So he said, "Hey, let's do a leadership development program." So a colleague of I and a colleague and myself we went off and sort of back of the envelope developed a leadership development program, LDP, and we did that for ten years. And and what we did is we took people off the line one day a month for a year. And we had, it was, you know, eventually we developed a curriculum and it was three parts. It was a leading self, leading teams and leading strategy. And, you know, a lot of it was, you know, issue processing, peer advisory in the latter part. And then during the day we had, you know, different topics. So again, big investment of the company, but I have to say one, we grew a lot of leaders that way. And I think it was a really significant part of the success of Marcon. And then we turned that externally and, and we, did, we did that for some, some of our, other, our fellow companies within the government contracting world. In addition, along the way, I got a lot of, you know, I was really interested in it. And, you know, like I said, that the back of my mind, I remembered, you know, that, that experience in healthcare. I got certified in Myers-Briggs, which, you know, it, it's, it's an assessment and we, we used it quite a bit. And then I wanted, you know, I talked to my boss about getting certified as an executive coach. And he sponsored me and I went down, got certified as an executive coach, and I've been able to use that internally as well. So it's a matter of understanding that in order to be successful and grow as a firm, you need leadership. Now, maybe the answer is you go out and hire leaders. That's one approach to it. Maybe the answer is you send people externally to programs. There's lots of great leadership programs out there. Our answer was, let's grow it internally. I'm wanting to be on the wall 12 years ago because I feel like that might be where I am right now. Yeah. And, and that's what we're looking at is, and I, I do think that there's a bit of, you want to grow it internally because you want to put your spin on it, your brand on it, your philosophy on it, your core values on it. Absolutely. So, so I'm actually, you know, live this quarter, we are, we're working on evolving our leadership development program because at the end of the day, you, know, you talk about executive coach program management, all of that goes into what we do as a service. Yes, the, the, the technical side of it is facilities or engineering or construction management, but you're really dealing with people that are making decisions that have a strategic impact on their organizations and facilities are one of their biggest costs. How do you help them manage that, that portfolio or that asset? And, and I do think that at the end of the day, we're not construction managers or project managers. We're, we're organizational consultants helping them lead projects that oftentimes have a lot of issues associated with them internally and yeah. externally. Yeah, um, very much so. You, you touch upon, I'm sorry to interrupt, you touch upon a no, good you're point good. of really leading, leaving your imprint on leaders. And, and one of the cool things about having your own internal leadership development program, and I encourage you to, to keep pushing on that, is there's alignment all the way through. Everybody speaks the same language. We do that through the training. Everybody understands the philosophy of you as an executive and you know, what you're looking for. The people that are running that LDP, you know, 
you've got that curriculum. And so everyone's on the same page and it really helps as you grow. It's almost like being in the military when, you know, you've got the commander's intent and it's, it's sort of, you know, trickling that down into your organization. I, I reference commander's intent often. It's, <laughs> That's refreshing. All right. Talk to us about either internal at Marcom, because as I understand, you've grown. You are now also doing some M&A at the, at the organization. And you referenced before we got on the call, reorg that's going on. So whether, whether internally or externally, some leadership challenges and, and lessons learned that you've had along the path. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so Marcon was an independent company for about 16 years, right around a couple of years before me. And we always were intent on just growing organically and you know, winning more contracts. And in the government space, we were a small business and there are certain advantages within the government sector being small. But at some point, you outgrow that. And we became a, you know, we, we outgrew our small business status. And once you outgrow that in government, you're competing with the ACOMs and the Booz Allens of the world. I mean, there's no difference between, you know, once so we continued to grow and we had, you know, tremendous success, but things were, it was a little bit tougher sledding. So we were looking around and, you know, you're still growing organically, but it's just, it's, you know, you got to, you're going after these bigger contracts and, you know, you go through different strategies, but eventually Matt, who is our, you know, majority shareholder, uh, opted to be acquired by a firm called Answer Advisory. And Answer Advisory, I don't know if you've heard of them in the industry, they are effectively a roll-up of owner's rep firms. So we were their only federal roll-up, but they've got representation in utilities, K through 12, universities, airports, and so doing that kind of work all over the country. And we were one of their larger acquisitions in the Mid-Atlantic, and their only one within the government space. So back my private equity, which is a whole nother conversation. And, but they, you know, there was, they had been going at it for, I think since 2018. And we expected that to be about a five-year process. And it happened very quickly with it about two years later. So the back to the leadership piece of it, the culture of Marcon had always been, you know, we're a small business and it's the you know, small business culture and this is our leadership. So tremendously challenging when all of a sudden you become part of something bigger. Now, what was interesting is I think part of the impetus for acquiring Marcon was we had a lot of executives and leaders that had been with the firm a long time, and we had scaled our organization up, all of those operational areas, and you know that we had grown those leaders, and I think that was seen as, as a really interesting part of the acquisition. So our operations lead became the operations lead for the entire answer advisory. Matt Dean became the COO for the entire organization, our IT lead, our you know, recruiting lead, on and on. So they, in addition to acquiring us, they also acquired a lot of our leaders. And, and that was kind of interesting for them. But then recently, and by the time this podcast airs, it'll probably be a, a close, but Accenture acquired Answer Advisory. Well, huh. Accenture is foreign-owned. They're, they're based in Ireland. And they do have a federal practice, but it's firewalled. And there were just a lot of issues. So the outcome was Answer gets acquired by Accenture and Marcon gets spun off, but with private equity backing now. So we're back to being a smaller firm, but we're, gonna, we're going down that path that Answer Advisory went down a couple of years ago in that in order for us to grow, we've got private equity backing. So you're going to see us not only continue to organically grow, but also grow with acquisitions. Now back to the leadership challenges. 
things are going to be different. You know, it's, it's not the same firm as it was before it was acquired. And people just have to, you know, be open-minded and understand, you know, there's, there's a bit of a new sheriff in town. We've got, you know, our, our private equity partners are, you know, they're, they're looking for growth and they're looking for good returns. So a little bit different spin on the company that many of us joined a, a number of years ago. Hmm. That's interesting. How, how does that trickle down in the day-to-day? And, and, you know, I, the fear is always big change means change. And, you know, how are we going to keep people? How are, you know, sure. the culture is going to yeah. shift, et cetera, et cetera. How, how are you guys going about that from a communication standpoint? And letting people feel safe and, and keep them focused on executing their job as opposed to, is it time for me to be looking around? Yeah, I mean, you hit on the key word, BJ, and that's communications. You've got to communicate. And, and one of the key things that we talk about is what's changing and what's not. If you are a client service person, you're out on your client site day in and day out, that's not going to change. I mean, certainly the structure above you does change. Some of the processes change. There's some technology changes, which can be annoying and, and irritating. But at the end, and you know, look, people don't like to change their parking spots, and we're changing <laughs> ownership of the firm. So it's a lot of conversations, and they're, and they're hard conversations. And I, I think the important thing is to be honest and say, this will change, this won't. This is not going to be the same, this will. And I think we are still the same people, for the most part, with the firm. There's a lot of the same people. The leaders haven't changed. And I think, you know, we've still got a lot of that DNA, but things are going to be a little bit different. And understanding that, you know, Matt Dean is no longer CEO. He's chairman of the board. So different role. And, you know, we've got, you know, private equity backing. It's a, it's, it's a little bit more financially focused. That's just the reality. But I will also say, you know, you talk about people leaving and going elsewhere. It's all over the industry. So many of our partners have, have gotten involved in M&A, you know, either on the acquiring side or being acquired. So, you know, you have to be cautious about where you go. If you want to escape or go to, I mean, unless you go back to a smaller firm that's sort of in the, you know, earlier years and, you know, that's not a picnic sometimes either, you know, you got some challenges there as well. So it's, it's really, you know, what you're comfortable with. And, and again, I think it's about having those conversations and being honest and, you know, being the trusted leader that you are and, you know, not blowing smoke at people and telling them nothing's going to change. It's going to be just like before, because that's just not the case. That's great. I, I think it's great advice. And I agree. Communication, communicate, communicate, communicate. And, and it, it goes the same on projects. I mean, I just came from a project meeting where it's, it's obvious we have not had the most cohesive communication. Projects moving fast. Not everybody's always on the same page. And you know, a decision gets made. And it, it, you know, the, the impacts of bad communication are, are detrimental to, to success. Speaking of which, client-facing work, it's obvious that you know, you're executive level, you've got people under you. How much are you interacting with client-facing work and, and any recent lessons learned or, or worse stories to share? Sure. Well, after the initial acquisition, I actually went back to ClientSite almost full-time and still maintained you know, a lot of those responsibilities. So you know, at some point, something had to give. So a little bit less of my time able to, you know, meet with potential teaming partners and, and do some of the business development, but I'm spending a lot of time. I do have clients, uh, even though defense is, is my lane, I spend the majority of my time at the Office of Director of National Intelligence, which is, like I said, that umbrella organization over the IC. Marcon's got projects all over the intelligence community. That was our very first client 16 years ago was in the IC, and we are, are well-known within that. 
So, I mean, as far as lessons learned, it's interesting. COVID impacts the government just like it impacts the commercial world. They're struggling with, you know, a reduced footprint and what do we do? But also in, with the intelligence community, you can't telework. You know, you're working in a secure <laughs> facility, so people have to come in. So what's interesting is seeing the struggle to recruit people because, you know, people in this generation or people that got used to teleworking are like, you know, I'm not so sure I want to go and work in a secure facility, leave my phone outside, you know, certain recreational activities I can't do if I'm going to have a, a polygraph <laughs> you know, and things like that. So those are some challenges our, our clients struggle with. There's a presidential directive to convert the government fleet to EVs, electronic vehicles. So mm. tremendous impact on the infrastructure. And, you know, there's differences of weight, there's charging stations, there's all that kind of stuff going on. But I mean, as, as far as the, the leadership, you know, it's easy to sort of paint with a broad brush government clients. And, and there certainly are some of those that are the stereotypical ones. But it, within the intelligence community and, and within DOD, especially at the senior levels, I've been tremendously impressed with the mission focus of some of these people. Like I've got a client now, a retired Army colonel, engineer, and he could retire a couple of years ago, but he's just so focused on the mission. It's just really inspiring. I mean, he says, I'm not ready to retire yet. There's things I want to do. My direct client, former Air Force guy, you know, also lots of opportunities in the private sector and just very focused on the mission. And, and again, very inspiring. And, you know, one of the, the lessons I see is, you know, when you've got a mission like that, often people are, are interested in, in working for an organization with that kind of mission. Even on the contractor side, I mean, people on my teams love being at the Pentagon. It's an iconic building. It's just you know, the ability to work there. But they're also interested in, you know, Amazon's down the street and, you know, they're building HQ2 down there. So that, that's also of interest. So, <laughs> you know, what's a differentiator? Again, you know, it comes down to leadership and communications and, and also understanding the challenges. Like to me, I've been in the government sector a long time. I feel like when you support that mission, there's something to be said for it. You know, we've done, you know, work at the Pentagon, supported doing that Pentagon Memorial from 9-11. I mean, that's meaningful work. Not to say that yeah. it's not meaningful work out in other parts of the, you know, the AE world, something like that, though, that, you know, you, you feel pretty proud when you go home at night. So the leaders understand that, but they also need to understand that, you know, it's a competitive world out there. And they do see that, you know, salaries aren't quite as competitive. So how do you offset the fact, well, there's benefits, there's, you know, holidays, but also, you know, you've got to work harder at that. And, and I've really observed some, some really good leaders. I've, I've been very fortunate. Uh, the talent war that is going on right now, I, I think is pretty crazy. Our industry, I guess it's in all industries, but it feels like our industry, there's, there's a greater impetus because there's more going on and there's less people coming into our industry and a lot of people retiring out of our industry. So one of the goals of the podcast is to to educate uh, junior professionals about the benefits of of our industry, and I agree that and and maybe maybe it's everybody, but I think even more so in the the generation coming up, the mission and the meaning behind the work that we're doing is more important. After you know, at, at some level of financial, what's the right word? Remuneration uh, at, at some some baseline financial parity is the right. word I was looking for. Right, you can't you can't not make money, but I do think that mission overcomes money at some point in time, and and maybe equally lifestyle. So interesting 
Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Switching gears a little bit to some rapid fire questions. Um, I believe you're, you're pretty well read based on the background. Any favorite books or most recommended books in your library? Wow. Sure. So one I'm reading actually right now is called Ego is the Enemy um, by <laughs> Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday. Oh, you're, you're a Ryan Holiday guy? I, I am. So uh, I don't know if you've read that one, but it's, it's fascinating. And uh, it, it, hits, it hits home. Like we all have egos. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And uh, I like that one a lot. The other one is, is one we've used in our leadership development program for years. I used to work for a company called Touchstone Consulting. And the CEO is a gentleman by the name of Chris McGough. And he wrote a book called The Primes. And The Primes is basically group problem solving, but also it's terminology. And, and one of the reasons why we use it in our LDP program is it's just sort of common terminology. For example, there was these primes, just each examples of, of group problem solving. And one of them is we say something's a red dot moment. When someone will be in a meeting and say, hey, you know, I got a red dot here. Everyone's sort of like, okay, this is going to be big. Like this is, this is outside the norm. This is something that's, it's going to be a comment that might make people uncomfortable, but it's, you know, someone's really feeling they have to say something. So we all understand, like, okay, it's a red dot moment, you know, buckle up. So I think so <laughs> that's a prime by, by Chris McGough. I like that one. How about favorite quotes? One of them, I don't know who wrote this and I think there's some variations on it, but I think in our world and a lot of businesses, you know, Bad news does not improve with age. And I think there's some variations of that. But, you know, I've always wanted my teams to feel like, you know, let me know now. Because, and, and I feel like with my clients and my leadership, you know, let's have that conversation now before it gets worse and, you know, prepare people for it. So I'm a big advocate of, you know, having those conversations. The other one, speaking of Ryan Holiday, a Seneca quote, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. I always thought that was Lombardi. That's Seneca. Stole it from Seneca. So who, who knew Lombardi was a Stoic? That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, the Ryan Holiday rabbit hole we could go down is, is deep. I, I, for, for the fathers out there, Ryan Holiday has an email, The Daily Dad, which yeah. at least once a week hits me in the head with a two by four. He just published a book, The Daily Dad. He did. I, I, I actually ordered that for Father's Day gifts, and it's probably sitting in a box because I know I didn't give it to my father for Father's Day. So no, that's uh, cool. good um, reminder. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> All right. If you could have a dinner party with three guests, dead or alive, who would they be? Yep. Sam Harris. I don't know if you're a Sam Harris guy. Um, Waking up app, right? Pardon me? Waking I think up. he's yes. the waking uh, up at. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one, I think, fascinating guy, very broad interests. And I think that'd be a heck of a conversation. One of your army friends, Colin Powell, I'm a big fan. Certainly not perfect, but amazing career. And I don't know if you've ever seen his TED Talks, just, you know, phenomenal speaker and, and very inspiring. Uh, and the third one, Catherine Graham. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, I'm not. She was, eventually became the publisher of the Washington Post. 
and uh, you know, big name in, in Washington, D.C., but uh, her husband was the publisher and he died and she took it over. And there was a movie a couple of years ago about Watergate, and ultimately it was her call to, to publish you know, the, the whole uh, you know, Woodward and Bernstein story. Hmm. And uh, she was really an impressive woman, so I think she'd be a great conversation. I'll have to do a little research on her. Colin Powell, God rest his soul. My dad gave me his book. I think it was in high school. It might have been when I was at West Point, but he had like his 20 rules for leaders or whatever. And one of them was everything gets better in the morning. And the number of times that that has like just just hit the rack and and reapproach this one tomorrow, it, it hits home. And then during COVID, I started this Friday email blast. And, and we've done it every week, but the very first subject line of our very first email was optimism as a force multiplier, Colin Powell. So I'm, I, I am a big fan. He had another one. I don't remember the exact quote, but the gist of it was, you know, don't let people, you know, blow smoke at you with, with, you know, technical terms and things. You know, if you as a layman can't understand it, it's probably too complicated. And it was really an interesting concept because, you know, how many times in his career and as a general, people are throwing all this whiz bang stuff at him. He's like, I don't get it. You need to make me understand it or else it's not going to fly. And I think about that a lot because I'm, as, as you recall, I'm not strong in you know, engineering. So, you know, I really, <laughs> um, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in meetings with, you know, an architect on one side and an engineer on the other. And I'm sitting across from, you know, property owners or whoever that, you know, representing the government and, you know, they're just throwing the stuff at me and, and I'll say, hang on a sec. And, you know, I'll consult them. But to me, it was a very Colin Powell moment, you know, like make sure you understand what they're, what they're throwing at you. That's good. A mentor of mine in the real estate world said, if I can't get it on the back of a napkin, I don't want it. That's um, true. It's good stuff. Last question. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want on your tombstone? Yeah, the, honestly, you know, I think about that. You know, everybody wants to leave the place, you know, better than they got there. I don't know that I want that on my tombstone. I want to be known as, you know, a good person, a, a good husband, a good father, a, a leader, somebody who inspired my teams and, uh, you know, just cared about people. Awesome. Steve, how can people get in touch with you? LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, although a lot of people are on LinkedIn these days, it's very, very active. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do check my LinkedIn and, I, you know, I, I guess it'll be in the show notes. I do have a, you know, an ebook of my, my blogs when I was Early on in my executive coaching training, I, I was blogging a lot about leadership, that, you know, leaders that inspire me. So there's, there's a lot of that out there and I'm happy to share all that. Awesome. We will make sure we get it all in the show notes. Steve, it was great having you on. Thank you so much for your time. Close us out with any closing inspiration for the owners out there, the leaders out there, and, and maybe even the, the young professionals coming up. Yeah, I would say, you know, be humble always learn, ask questions. And, you know, just it's never too late to, to learn and, you know, be a better human. So I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time and best of luck with Marcon. It was really a pleasure, BJ. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review 
and share this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.